The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're coming to you from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. This is the home for Autism Live. It is also the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. How much do I love them? Uh, I am Shannon Penrod, and as you know, if you've watched the show before, I'm a very proud autism mom. My son was actually treated at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders, which is why I love them. But I'm here um, because I want to help you to get to the things that will be helpful to you. This is not a one-size-fits-all. So Traven has already started to show you some of the different ways that you can connect with the show, some of the different ways that you can be watching both our current shows and our past shows and ways that you can participate in the show, ask questions of our experts, um, you know, participate. We love it when this show is interactive. That is what our entire desire is, is to be interactive with you. So uh, this show is meant for the larger autism community, which starts, of course, with the individuals who are on the autism spectrum. We welcome all of you to be here with us. Um, you're the reason why we're here. But but we also welcome all the people that love and care about you, right? That is the larger autism community, all the people that care about the respect and dignity and the resources that need to be made available to you. That is what we're here about. Uh, you know, our, our uh, whole thing here, we say that we're about information and inspiration, and it is always our desire to make those available to you free at the different times that you need in the different ways that you need. I know as we go through the different changes that are happening with the coronavirus that more and more of you are writing into us and saying my circumstances have changed and I am at home with my kiddo or my teen or my adult child who's on the autism spectrum and that some of the resources that you've normally had available are not currently available to you and so I would encourage you on Thursday of last week we did a show just about that uh, and we're going to continue to be here um, hoping to provide some programming for you to help you to work on the things that um, that are important to you while you're surviving and thriving and getting through all this. You know what I say, si se puede, right? We hold hands, we get through this together. So we got a big show planned for you today. By the way, I meant to say, and I like to say this uh, at the start of the show, that I have tons of experts, got a great expert who's going to be here with you a little bit later on in the program. But let's keep in mind that I am not an expert. Uh, I'm not an expert working for the CDC. That is not who I am. I'm a mom, and I love being here with you because I want to help you to get the information that you need. That is that is what my role is, but I am not an expert. I do like to, you know, people take issue when I say 
you know, I never say that I'm an expert, but sometimes people take issue when I say that I'm not an expert. Yeah, you know, I have been hosting shows about autism for over a decade, longer than anybody else has, and I've interviewed as many people as anybody else has about topics on the autism spectrum. I don't think that that qualifies me for being an expert in any way, shape, or form. I will tell you that I think that I have an informed opinion about a lot of things, um, and sometimes it's just hot air. You know what I'm saying? I have a sense of humor about it, and I think that's more important than anything else underneath the sun. And I care deeply about you and the things that you're looking to get help and support for. Um, so that's why I'm here, but don't mistake me for one of the experts, right? Uh, I, you know, I'm often mistaken for people's aunt. Everybody says, I have an aunt that you remind me of. That's good. That's what I want to be. I want to be your friendly aunt who's not your mom. You know what I mean? Your mom, you know, says to you, you need to do this and you need to do that. And you have a, you have a love-hate relationship sometimes with your mom. Whereas your aunt is far away. You don't have to tell her everything. You just come to her for the things that you need help and support with. And she's the person who goes, honey, you're doing a great job. That's who I am. I'm the person who's here to tell you that you're doing a great job and to tell you maybe about a resource that you don't know about and introduce you to something, but not to like, you know, sit in judgment and go, well, you should do this. I, I have no desire to be that person in any way, shape or form. I'm your crazy aunt. <laughs> the crazy aunt that you can sit up with until two o'clock in the morning and laugh with. That's who I am. Glad to have you here now that we're all on the same page. All right. Um, we like to start the show on Mondays with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take one word, one phrase, one acronym, we try to figure out what are the experts talking about? Why is this important to us? Why do we have to learn this other language? What's it all about, Alfie? Um, we do this uh, two times a week, and first we give you the actual definition, which whenever possible, I try to make as much fun of as possible because they're ridiculous. And then we give you a working definition, which is often ridiculous, right? Um, but sometimes it really gets to the heart of it. But we try to give you an example and go, this is why this is important. This is what this means to you, okay? Uh, we today, we've been working on the verbal operants and defining all of the verbal operants. And we have arrived today at uh, intraverbal. Uh, how much fun is this? So uh, let's take a look at, because often this is the piece that you guys will write in and you'll go, well, you know, my 13 year old is on the spectrum and she can label. You know, she's been taking speech forever and she knows hundreds of words and she says them, but why don't we have conversation, Shannon? What do we need to do to get to conversation? And that's really why I've been teaching you all the different interverbals so that you'll go, hey, that's the one that we're missing. But this is where we want to get to, to the intraverbal. This is the piece that you all want. So let's take a look at what the actual definition of an interverbal. Interverbal, an elementary verbal operant involving a response that is evoked by a verbal Verbal I can talk discriminative stimulus that does not have point-to-point -point correspondence with that verbal stimulus. Yes, and now you know why I make fun of these because there's no way if you don't know what an interverbal is, you don't know what a point-to-point -point correspondence is, and you don't know what a discriminative—I don't know—maybe you do know what a discriminative stimulus is because you've been watching the show. But my point is, you just go, "What in the heck does that mean?" This is the reason why we cover this on the show. Let's take a look then at our working definition. What is an interverbal? So an interverbal is something that somebody says in a response to the language of another person, conversational language. There's 
an example of one of our working de definitions which belongs in the trash can. Because uh, sometimes they're not, you know, when originally when we started working on these years ago, um, I, I had to sit with BCBAs and get approval and like this is what the working definition is and then I would do the, the working definition and they would go, oh, you can't say that. that. That's not exactly what it is. And then they would throw in other words and I, I couldn't override them. But that's one that needs to go into the trash can. So, um, all right, we've already covered somebody when somebody mans, right? When I manned, I'm requesting something. So let's say um, that I want the apple. And so I say apple, right? It's an approximation and you give me the apple. I've manded, you gave it to me, right? Um, now we talked about tacting. Tacting is when the person, you know, is pointing it out and going apple and, and, and trying to make it conversational, right? But we want to get to the point in conversation. And there's lots of different ways that we work on this so that somebody understands not only this is an apple and I can request it and I, when somebody else says apple that I can get it, but that we want to be able to have apple in a conversation even when I haven't said the word apple. So I want to be able to say to you, what would you like for a snack and for you to say an apple? Now, I have not said, what would you like for a snack, an apple or crackers, right? I just said, what do you want for a snack? And this, this individual was able to sort through all of the things in their brain and go, mm, apple and express it. And by the way, they can express it through type. They can give me an icon. They can push a button that says apple, but, uh, or they can verbally say apple or they can point to the apple, but I have not pointed out apple to them at all. And they were able to retrieve the concept of this word. And however we have said that we're going to communicate, they've been able to pull it up on the computer that is their brain and go apple. That is interverbal. So when we are showing pictures to somebody and we show the picture of the apple and they're able to go, and I go, what is it? And they go, apple, great, that's wonderful, you're labeling. But are they able to, to talk about an apple when the picture of it isn't there? It's, um, it's just the next step in the, in the uh, ability to be able to talk about things. And it requires an understanding of whatever, and I'm just using the example of Apple, right? But we want them to be able to do this with all of the things in, in life that they want to talk about, right? And it's a huge moment in time when you are able to ask a question of your child and without having choices, they are able to pull up words that they know. It's interverbal. It is truly when we have arrived at conversation and then we build and make the conversation more. And then we start, you know, uh, from that point, what we start doing is as seeing how many volleys we can go so that I can say, you know, to the child, for instance, you know, what would you like for breakfast? And then the child says, um, you know, I'd like to have pancakes. Do we have orange juice? And I say, yes. Would you like orange juice? And do you want that in your sippy cup or do you want that with ice or whatever question I ask? And the child answers that and says something back and we volley back and forth. Hey, I remember when my child was nonverbal and the thought of being able to do that was everything. It was Mount Everest, right? And I remember the first time that he was able to, you know, vocalize something and they were like, oh my gosh, you know, he's crested that, that's an interverbal, 
bang, we're, we're headed. And I was like, okay, I don't really see that. I don't know why you guys are all excited. But then, then we were able to volley. I was able to ask him a question and he was able to answer it. Wow, that was exciting. But then when we were able to volley too, I remember going, oh my gosh, this is really exciting. And then we were able to volley back and forth three. And I was like, oh, okay. And then suddenly... You know, we were, I was supposed to keep track of when we did four, five, six, and seven, but it, it just went and he and we were able to have conversations. And it's not that monologue thing that our kids will do sometimes where it's just like, you know, so I want to tell you everything that I know about robots. And did you and they just start monologuing, right? I'm talking about true conversation where somebody says, Hey mom, you know, do you know what I learned about robots in school today? And I go, No, tell me. Well, I learned that you know, blah, 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 did you know? And, and I go, no, I didn't know that. Tell me more about that. And then he blah, 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 blah. And then I go, you know what I think is interesting is, you know, there was a robot that on this television show and he goes, really, can we watch that show sometime? Right? Isn't that what all of us want? And I, I, I gotta be honest, I have this because we worked on the verbal operants and we worked on them like we were dogs working on them. Um, but this is, a golden piece of it. And if all your speech folks are doing is working on the labeling, um, we aren't getting to the interverbals. There are a whole set of lessons in card, uh, excuse me, in skills um, that are there that are, work on the verbal operants and that work up to the interverbals. It's not a mystery. You don't have to go read 7 million books to figure out how to do it, but they have it in skills. There's a whole curriculum uh, area that there's actually two. There's one that's language and then there is one that is social language. And when you're working on both of those, you are going to find yourself working towards and getting to interverbals and then getting to the point where you pull it out into those volleys. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So keys to the kingdom right there, interverbal. This is why we do jar jargon because would you know, I didn't know, I didn't know that that's what we needed to get to before, before we were there. All right, uh, moving on, we always have a question for you every day. And our question for you, and I think this, this was decided a long time ago before, uh, <laughs> before we were at this day, uh, but isn't it timely? How do you cope with fear? What do you do to handle fear? Because I'm going to tell you something. Not only are you probably having to do that to some extent at some point in your day right about now, but we all, we need to turn around and help our kiddos right now because they are sensing that there's a lot of anxious people in the world and we really need to help them to deal with their feelings about things. Um, you know that I'm, I'm looking at all these craft things that I'm going to be doing with you guys on the show because we're going to be expanding our programming a little bit. Um, and I love me some Pinterest. I want to encourage all of you to go on Pinterest. But one of the things that I was looking at last night were a series of different um, crafts that you can do to help children to deal with emotions that they're having. And there are some clever things on Pinterest, you guys. There's one that's a spin wheel um, that you put together and they decorate it themselves, but it's it's like got this uh, pie cut out of the spin wheel. And the, underneath of it is another wheel that has a bunch of different things. And it says on it, you know, like, what can Bobby do when he feels himself feeling anxious? And he can spin the wheel and it says, you know, that he, you know, here are these different things that you can do that he can uh, practice breathing, uh, spin the wheel, and he can, you know, uh, give himself pressure 
on his arms. And it's going to be different for every kiddo, right? But what we have to start with, how do we deal with these things ourselves? And then we have to model those behaviors. And then we're teaching them at the same time that we're modeling them. Um, you know, so how do you cope with fear? Write into us, tell us, because maybe you've got a way that that is great that we haven't thought of that I'm that I'll be like wow never thought about doing that I think I'll do that next right um, because then we want to teach our kids how to cope with fear uh, all right and so then you know I've already teased what is the the topic of the week um, and and da 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 there it is topic of the week uh, which is no surprise it is coping with fear. Now, first of all, I want you to notice that we capitalized fear, F-E-A-R, uh, because that's really what we're talking about is um, a lot of times when fear happens, it is because we are in a moment where false evidence appears real. See that with the fear? False evidence appearing real. So we talk a lot on the show about being in this moment and not in any other moment. And man, are we put, being put to the test for that this week and last week? And I don't know about next week, right? But here's the perfect example. We don't know about next week. And it is normal to experience some fear about that false evidence appearing real. You can only live in this moment. In this moment, are you okay? Is your family okay? Ground yourself in this moment, right? Don't let yourself spin into the false evidence appearing real. Even if there are, you know, I mean, there's a lot on the news right now and you're seeing other people and you're like, well, for them it's a reality, but it is not for you. It is not right now because if you if it were, you wouldn't be sitting here watching the news, right? That's that's your evidence right there. So don't take on other people and perhaps it's time to limit the amount of, you know, we all want to stay updated, but sometimes I think putting a visual with it, you know, I have a little uh, daily news alert that I get from the New York Times so that I know I'm getting rep reputable source. I'm not listening to everything under the sun, right? Um, and, and then I have to remind myself sometimes after reading it, I'm okay right now. My family is okay right now. Everything is okay. I'm here in this space and time with you and we are all okay right now. And truthfully, that's all anybody has is right now. Uh, now, if you find that you're still having anxiety in that moment, then it's time to think about what do I need to do to mitigate, mitigate that anxiety? Is it that it's just false evidence appearing real? And, and so maybe I need to take, uh, you know, and do some act, physical activity, work that out, right? Get my mind off of it, get some board games down, do something fun, put on some music, dance around, right? Give yourself something else to do, right? Or is it that you're having anxiety because you're, you're looking at the false evidence appearing real and you're like, yeah, but I'm, I, I haven't done this and I haven't taken this precaution. I haven't done this. Well, then, you know, if you can go do that, take action, take action so that you can say, yep, no, I took care of that. That's done. Checked, done, right? But don't be grounded in the fear of the false evidence appearing real. The fact is right now you are okay. If you weren't, you wouldn't be here with me, right? So we're keeping it focused right now in the here and now. And have I done what I need to do? Great. Now go have some fun. Honestly, like go have some fun. Go bake something. Go, you know, put on some music and dance around the living room. Get your kiddo 
and dance around the living room. Remember, you're modeling to your child how to deal with anxiety and fear. And they're going to have some false evidence appearing real guarantee you and you can talk with them about you know put your feet on the floor right here we're here right now you and I are okay nothing bad is happening right now let's be right here right now keep everybody keep in the present right that's what we got to do okay so we're gonna keep talking about all that keeping it breathing right because uh, that's what's important all right um, <clears throat> I also want to point out too that um, you know there's a lot of things that you can stack up and go, but this is happening, but this is happening. And I want to remind you that in, think about your grandparents and the things that they went through. Uh, you know, uh, I think it's a great time to crack out the Laura Engels Wilder books and be rereading those with your kiddos. Like have a story hour every night and reread those because stuff happened on the prairie. Stuff happened, you know, and, and they went through stuff and they got through it. You know, the fact of the matter is people get through, people rise to the occasion, people get through. So, you know, remind yourself when you're stacking up all the things that are happening, remind yourself, yeah, and people have faced these kinds of challenges before and they've been okay. So uh, get, get some Prairie Girl on with the Laura Angles Wilder and go, yeah, she did it, we're going to be okay. All right, uh, so we've got a great guest, Bonnie Yates is standing by to be with us answering your questions and she's got some really, um, we've been wanting to take some time with her to talk about some legal schmeagle. So stick with us for your rights with Bonnie Yates. We'll be right back. Welcome back, you guys. Uh, we have the amazing Bonnie Yates, who's joining us via Skype, and uh, she is a special education attorney. Welcome to the show, Bonnie. Thank you, Shannon. I'm a slightly discombobulated special education You look attorney. fabulous. What are you talking Trying about? To trying to figure out how we're going to keep it all together. Yeah, but we will. You know, I mean, here's the thing. Um, what, what's the thing about a necessity being the mother of invention? That is the thing, Shannon. That is we're gonna we're gonna work we're gonna work this all out we're we're gonna find ways that we never thought of before uh, and we're gonna keep on plugging so uh, but it's you know I mean I think everybody's sort of feeling it it's like uh, uh oh you know well I didn't think about this and uh oh I didn't think about that right yeah I mean but you know what it's kind of a uh, maybe a paradoxical thought but when this started happening, I was like, you know, we're all on the same boat in this life together. And this is a rare instance in which you see people coming together with the same goal. Yep. And I'm kind of sad that it has to come to this, but I do appreciate that it's collaborative, you know, and it's going to be each one of us extending our hand to somebody else, although probably only metaphorically. Yeah. Uh, we're we're going to be an elbow. We're going to extend an elbow to each other. Exactly. But, but, so, right. so we're doing a weird lob lolly show today of a variety of things, but I'm supposed to first tell you that when we do Autism Live, we're talking generally about your legal rights and how you can become empowered to better understand and participate in the process of your child's special education. But we also suggest if you have a specific problem, you really need to sit down with a, a licensed professional in your state and discuss what your issues are, because I'm just not able to give that kind of specific analysis on the air, you know, 
uh, to any individual person. Yeah. So that's why we always refer people to COPA, California. Uh, Cal- Council of Parent Attorneys and Advocates, copaa.net. You can go to their website. They've got a lot of uh, information for you. You can join and become a member, or you can just use them as a directory to find an attorney in your state. And if we're in California, if you're in California, Northern or Southern, and you want to talk to us directly, we're Tolner Law Offices, and we certainly can offer you a consultation to discuss your special education issues. So um, I think that's what I'm supposed to say before I start talking about what we're going to talk about today. That's exactly right. We, we love to get that information from you. Uh, okay, so what are we talking about today, Bonnie? Well, we're talking about whatever sort of um, tickled my fancy this week. So, I like it. Uh, it's a lot of things. One thing is, I sent you, and and perhaps you have not had an opportunity to post it yet. This redacted, whoops, my holding up my tail. Yes. This redacted prior written notice letter that will be available for the listeners to take a look at. I wanted you to see this because it's something that you can do at your IEP meeting, and I think it will alleviate some of your frustration. Um, and districts certainly don't let you know that this is something they're obligated to do. Okay. But, but, but under the IDEA, if you're, if you're a parent and you ask the district to do something and they refuse, they are supposed to send you this document. It's called a prior written notice. And the prior written notice is supposed to explain to the parents what the issue was, you know, the, the request what their decision is, and what documents and information they relied on in order to make their decision. And so a lot of times people are really frustrated because they feel as if they're, you know, steamrolled over or blown off at their IEP meetings. And in actuality, they have the right to get the prior written notice. That's what it's called. Those are the three magic words. It's sometimes abbreviated as a PWN. This one that I sent and that Shannon will be sharing later is a a little different than some. And the reason it's different than some is it actually says yes to the parents rather than no to the parents. So I guess because they said yes, they didn't really give all their reasons or what they relied on. But I just I just pulled it out to to perform so you, you could all see it. So in, in, the, in the letter itself, what you see is that the student uh, was in one district and had divorced parents and needed transportation to um, the parent who lived outside of the district or had moved outside of the district. And so the parent asked as part of their settlement if they could have um, transportation out-of-district transportation on the days when the student stayed at the parent's house who was outside the district. And the district actually wrote back and said, yes, and this is how they did it. So you'll see that there's a factual discussion, and then the district's telling you that it believes it appropriately complied with all applicable requirements regarding residency and permit issues. However, um, they've decided that they're going to do this. So, you know, anytime you finish your IEP meeting, 
and you feel like there are unresolved issues that you didn't get answers on, ask them for a prior written notice. Now, I know you're going to ask me, well, how long do they have to reply? And the answer is, there's no set deadline. It's a reasonable time. So whatever is a reasonable time in, in light of the, you know, circumstances. But you should hear something within 30 days. So that's, that's the prior written notice um, issue. Um, the next thing is about reading the law. Okay, reading the law. Every month, the Office of Administrative Hearings writes decisions that are about special ed, and they resolve disputes in their written opinion. And nobody can be very effective in special ed unless you know the law, and that means that attorneys like me need to try to make time to read these decisions every month. And when you do read them, they're really interesting because you really do get educated about what the issues are. Have to be an attorney to read these decisions and understand them? Absolutely not. Where do you look at these attorneys? Uh, these attorneys, excuse me. Where do you look at these decisions? In California, you go to the California Special Education Hearing Office, and they have decisions online, and you can search by your district or by topic area. It's not the greatest search engine ever, but you can find stuff. And if you get interested, you can call OAH, the Office of Administrative Hearings in Sacramento, and get put on the email list, and you can get the monthly decisions. So I wanted to give you some examples of the kinds of things you can learn about in reading the law online, the OAH decisions. So just as an example, I was reading a decision last night, and one of the allegations, one of the allegations in the case, it was a very um, complicated case. Um, one of the allegations was that the student had been bullied in school. Why am I not? Shoot. Well, I'm gonna. I'm having a problem with the document that I saved, so I'm gonna have to resort to giving you guys the bullying definition next week, which I will do. But I thought it would be interesting for you to, to, to know what the, I think it's Cal Education Code section uh, 48900. And I'm going to just see if I can find it really quickly now. Uh, I mean, the reason it was interesting to me uh, to come upon this definition of bullying is because we, you know, bullying is a pretty common um topic of discussion now particularly for you know parents of kids with disabilities and so I thought it would be really important to actually look at um, what it what the law says and um, and discuss it a little bit with you so it is it is California Education Code section 48900 and um, oh, this is just going to be the story of my day Nothing is nothing is working. <laughs> I'm gonna have to do I'm gonna have to do the bullying um, citation again next week because okay. what's coming isn't what I wanted to share with you. So the other thing I wanted to share with you is we have um, federal decisions, and they are they are uh, sometimes reported uh, on the internet. So sometimes you can look at at some of those kinds of decisions, they're, they're different. 
But also, this is a published decision. It doesn't look like anything. There's no point in holding it up. It's a published decision um, from November 2012, Upland Unified School District. And if you go into the decisions, the way they're written, if they're written logically, is they, first of all, they give you a summary of what the issues were and how the case was decided. Then they give you factual findings. And then they analyze the facts in relation to the law. And, and it's, it's what happens is when you get into the, into the discussion, uh, or the analysis, I should say, in the, in the decision itself, the law that they discuss in the particular case has applicability to a general case. So I'm just going to read you a few things out of this um, Upland decision so you can see what I'm talking about and you can let me know if it makes sense. Apparently in this case, the parents were seeking um, reimbursement for private school tuition. And so one of the things the judge had to decide was whether they were entitled to tuition reimbursement. So she says, parents may be entitled to reimbursement for the cost of placement or services they have procured for their child when FAPE is an issue. Such reimbursement may be ordered when the school district has failed to provide a FAPE and the private placement or services were appropriate under the IDEA and replace services that the school district failed to provide. So there you go. Right now, you've got an explanation of what the standard is if you want private school tuition reimbursement. It's not only that you have to show that the private um, place, you have to show not only that the private placement was appropriate, which is demonstrated by showing that the student made progress over at least one quarter's worth of time, but you also have to show that the district's prior placement was inappropriate. So you can't just, you know, um, apply to private school and get in, and and if it's a great school and you do well, that's not going to work unless you can show that the district's offer didn't provide fake. Uh, so the decision goes on to say, school authorities may also be uh, ordered to reimburse parents for their expenditures on private special education for a child if the school authorities did not offer the child a FAPE and the unilateral placement chosen by parents is appropriate under the IDEA. Um, however, and this is interesting, the placement chosen by the parents need not meet the requirements for a FAPE as long as it offers an appropriate educational program. So what they're saying is you're not going to be held to the letter of the law. Um, there's not going to be an analysis as to whether the private placement offered FAPE but it is going to be looked at for appropriateness. The determination regarding such reimbursements is based on general principles of equity, which just means fairness. And they cite the Forest Grove School District case, which is a Supreme Court case and is a, an important case because it looked at this issue, the highest court of the land looked at this issue. Such principles can include a variety of factors, including the failure of the parents to give adequate notice of their intent to enroll the child private school and the parents' reasons for enrolling the student in private school in the first place. So that's interesting because what it's telling you right there, and I think I've told everybody this before, when you're going to pay for private services or private placement, you have to give the district 
10 business days notice your intention to privately place, or you have to go to an IEP meeting and give the notice right there. And the purpose of the notice is to give the district time to make you another offer if they want to and to prevent your exit from private school. Um, goes on to say, the idea also places several statutory limitations on reimbursement to parents for costs of a placement that they have selected when FAPE is at issue and the school district has not offered FAPE. Specifically, 34 Code of Federal Regulations Part 300.148 provides that the amount of such reimbursements may be reduced or denied under certain circumstances, including one, if the parents did not give notice at the most recent IEP team meeting um, that the parents attended prior to removal of the child from the public school, or at least 10 business days before removing the child from the public school, that they were rejecting the placement, including stating their concerns and their intent to enroll their child in a private school at public expense, or two, if the actions taken by parents were unreasonable. So there you have, in, in real life, rolling out in this, in this Upland School District case, a cogent discussion of the rules as they relate to unilateral placement of children in private schools. They had some other issues in this case, and the judge ruled on those things. For example, the parents apparently asked for some kind of extension on the statute of limitations, which in California is two years. And there are some exceptions that apply, like the school district uh, engaged in fraud or convinced the parents that the problem that the parents had was resolved. Um, so the judge goes on to say, a request for due process hearing shall be filed within two years from the date the party initiating the request knew or had reason to know of the facts underlying the basis for the request. And then the judge cites the applicable education code section. This limitation does not apply to a parent if the parent was prevented from requesting the due process hearing due to either one, specific misrepresentations by the local educational agency that it had solved the problem forming the basis of the due process hearing request, or two, the withholding of information by the local educational agency from the parent that was required to be provided to the parent under special education law. So that would mean if at the time that the district engaged with the parent, they didn't provide the parent with their procedural safeguards. So um, the judge, I'm not going to discuss the whole statute of limitations discussion because it's a bit technical, but I, I wanted to show you how the law is interwoven through this specific decision. Then the judge went on to look at um, particular school years and, and, and to look at the question of whether the district's failure to assess the student and develop an IEP meant that the district had denied FAPE. And these decisions tend to be long. They're very lengthy. Um, you can learn a lot by reading them if you can just, you know, take time, maybe like one night a month or something to just read a few of these before you go to bed. This one's about 25 pages. Sometimes they're longer, but that's information that's all available to you as, um, as parents. And it's really not something that you should be intimidated by because I think you can read this and you might not understand everything, but you'd be amazed. You'll start to catch on and you can look up definitions in, um, 
just Google generally if you don't understand what a term is. So I think that this would be a great um, idea that you guys can all uh, start reading the law a little bit to yourself uh, and just know that an attorney doesn't do anything different than that. You know, we have legal training and that helps us, of course, interpret this. But these decisions are supposed to be written so parents can understand them um, by the administrative law judge. So, so check them out and see whether you find that they're interesting and helpful. I've also given Shannon the Special Education Rights and Responsibilities Handbook, S-E-R-R, for California. It's put out by Protection and Advocacy. It's free. It's an incredibly thorough book. It will help you so much if you just go in there and you read the law and um, go through the idea sequentially. Uh, starting with the beginning, you know, which is probably eligibility. Um, so that's another thing I want to remind you about as you roll into IEP season. Um, so that's what I wanted to say on that topic, Shannon. I don't know if you have any comments or questions before well, I start I, the next. I just want to say that the links where we have links and the documents where we have documents are all in the comments on Facebook. So okay. if you're um, tuning in and you want to know where those are, go over to Facebook if you're not already there. Go to Autism Live and find where, where we're streaming this live or where it's recorded because it lives there on Facebook. And you'll see that the it's in the comments all the things that Bonnie is talking about. Traven is putting them there for you. So, okay. okay. So what next? Okay. So um, <laughs> I'm still, like, obsessing about the fact that I couldn't pull up my bullying definition. But well, we'll have it for that. next time. It's a wonderful tease for next time. Yeah, next and time. I said I was going to talk about Rowley, uh, not Rowley, Andrew F. today, but I just was so um, busy this week that I just didn't get to it. So what I was going to talk to you guys about, and this might take more than one session, is three, age three to five services under California Education Code 56001. So do we have time to do a little bit of that? We do have a time to do a little bit of that because okay. that has been a conversation that I've been having with a lot of people lately, especially in the state of California, Bonnie. I have to tell you that we're seeing three-year-olds with a diagnosis of autism being refused for educational services because they're saying they don't qualify. You know, I'd be really interested in what district that was because I knew of a I have a colleague who was working in an office in LAUSD where the psychologists there were saying to her, you know what, we're not going to make these kids eligible. It's too much work. Let the school deal with it. And I was really shocked yeah, by that. It, it's, in fact, we're hearing it overwhelmingly in LA Unified. So, okay, so it's LA Unified problem. And I think it's important to keep um, track of that because... You know, their LAUSD's IEPs are um, so general and so form-driven that they're almost meaningless. But, um, you know, you got to really look carefully at those assessments. She also told me, and this was, was equally shocking, that if, that if parents were doing the, uh, the, you know, the parent portion of the evaluation, um, they would write the results of the parent answers in in pencil, and then if they got a result they didn't like, they would erase the pencil later and write in something they liked better. And this colleague of mine was really shocked, and she was like, you guys are breaking the law. 
know, this is not just erasing a, a few pencil marks or something. That is so, not okay. Uh, LAUSD also seems to be right now um, trying to remove kids that have full-time ABA programs funded by the district um, from those services. And it's an interesting development because for years, LAUSD was one district where reliably, if you went to mediation, uh, you could get an outside ABA provider through the mediation process. So I think now what's happened is, you know, the district, somebody in the district somewhere is saying, well, this is a huge, like, money suck out of the district. Let's start trying to take these cases back. And the, the problem is it's not that easy for them because what they have to do is they have to go in and show either that the student doesn't need as many services, which would be a more conservative way to go. But I'm hearing that what they're doing instead, maybe for simplicity's sake on their end, is they're actually trying to make students ineligible. And to do that, they have to show that their autism, they either don't have autism, which is going to be a little hard to do, or that their autism has no educational impact. That's kind of mind-blowing. Well, it is. It's it, For people who are supposed to be in the field of education, it, that is such a long walk off the beaten path to say yeah. that, that a three-year-old, that, that autism is not affecting their ability to be educated. It's just... That it's mind blowing to me, but okay. So, okay. but you want okay. we we wanted to talk about the three to five, yeah. Three to five is interesting, right? Because you're transitioning from being a you know an infant or a toddler um, to receiving IDEA services. There's a separate conversation about zero to three services in California and how the regional center does that. Probably would have made sense to do that first, but this seems more pressing for people in a way. Yeah. So in, in California, there is this issue of transition, right, from early start services to um, what are called um, Part B services under the IDEA. So California Education Code 56426.9A requires a smooth transition from early start services to uh, three to five services. And the IEP has to be in place by the student's third birthday. If the child is turning three in the summer, regional center may have to continue services until school begins. And that's 17 California Code of Regulations, 52112 per NF. Um, eligibility for special education, all the eligibility categories, including autism, you can look at five California Code of Regulations, 3030, and you'll see that three to five has all the same um, eligibility codes, except for there's an additional one called established medical disability. And the definition of EMD is it's a disability, uh, it's, excuse me, it's a disabling medical condition or congenital syndrome that the IEP determines has a high probability of requiring special education services. So you can see that there's an attempt there to make sure that you're over-inclusive, which is a good thing, because the worst thing that'll happen is that if somebody doesn't need that level of services or doesn't need to be eligible, that, you know, that could be changed ultimately. But um, anyway, um, for the EMD category, they must also need specially designed instruction or services to qualify for special education. Uh, 
there you have them saying essentially if the needs can be met in a general ed setting, they don't qualify. Also, a child must have needs that cannot be met by modifying the home or school or both without ongoing monitoring or support. And eligibility is not going to be granted if it's uh, the problem is lack of familiarity with the English language, temporary physical disabilities, social maladjustment, environmental, culture, cultural, or ergonomic factors. So you can see those are things that might look like a, 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 dis a disabling and eligible condition, but they're actually not. Um, California Education Code 56441.11c. Assessment should be comprehensive and it should be more than just speech service, uh, speech and language evaluation. Um, so they're supposed to do a multidisciplinary assessment um, when you're turning three. They're not supposed to do a bare bones assessment. As far as the transition from early start, six months before the third birthday, the regional center service coordinator must A, notify the parents regarding the transition meeting and the need for transition planning, must notify the school district re the IFSP meeting, and then they need to discuss placement and procedures for change in service delivery providers. Because, you know, uh, as you've seen, if you're in California, under three, with the um, impetus being to try to remediate the disability as early as possible, there are services that are not always available over three. And even if the, you're going to have the same services over three, you're not going to have the same service providers, right? Because you're switching from regional center and its vendors to school district and its um, programs. So there's there's um, a requirement that the district be careful. The regional center has to transmit the information to the school district. So I should say the regional center should be careful to make sure that the district gets all the information that it needs and that the parents are appropriately prepared for this transition, which can be a big one. California law requires that parents are provided information, um, recommendations and resources. Um, information about the child is sent to the school district and regional center to determine what assessments are necessary. Um, a projected date for conducting the final review of the IFSP and ensure that steps are taken so that the IEP is in place by the third birthday. The referral to the school district must occur no later than two years, nine months of age. People responsible for convening the IEP in the final IFSP meeting are, need to be identified. Parents should know timelines to avoid gaps in service. That's important. Um, there is no stay put of early start services if you disagree with the IEP. 34 CFR 300.518C and California Education Code Section 56505D say you can consent to the implementation of the IEP and file for due process, but you don't get to keep your three to five services. Um, three to five rights are the same rights as five to 22nd birthday rights, meaning three and three to five-year-olds don't have fewer rights than people that are five to 22, um, which makes sense. Services may include for the three to five population, observation and monitoring of the child, 
activities developed to conform with the child's IEP and to enhance the child's development, uh, consultation with preschool family service providers and so on, preschool comma family comma service providers and so on, assistance to parents in coordinating services, opportunities for the child to develop play and pre-academic skills and self-esteem, access to developmentally appropriate equipment and specialized materials. And that's California Education Code 56441.3a. Related services can include parent counseling and training. Services can be individual or group and can be provided in age-appropriate environments, including home. Isn't that interesting? Yes. The IEP must meet the child's unique needs. That's 56441.3 of the Ed Code. The settings can include a private school, a, chi uh, a child development center, family daycare, your home, preschool, or a public educational setting, um, as long as the setting provides an age-appropriate environment, materials, and services, and the district is allowed to contract with Head Start if they don't have their own preschool program. LRE, least restrictive environment, applies to the three to five-year-old population. That's 34 Code of Federal Regulations 300.116. Um, the district must provide a program with non-disabled peers if the child's IEP team determines that this is appropriate. However, the district is not required to offer preschool if it doesn't have one for children without disabilities. There's no federal requirement to establish district-wide programs or contract with private schools for the sole purpose of implementing LRE requirements. Courts have not made a distinction between school age and preschool age when addressing LRE requirements. So that's alluding to um, a problem that sometimes comes up where the district doesn't have an appropriate preschool and what their duties are to provide an appropriate preschool in, in those circumstances. And um, I'm not going to go into the law on that today. It's a little bit complicated. And we are at the end of our time. Is that a good place for us to stop, Bonnie? That is the end. Yes. Okay, fabulous. Uh, can you please give us, uh, excuse me, the Tolner Law Office information again, please? Yeah. Owner law offices, you can Google them if you want to get a hold of them. The phone number and the um, intake form is right there um, on the web. And um, we didn't get any questions this week. Love to hear from you guys next week. Um, if there's specific topics you want me to talk about, bring it on and everybody stay safe and healthy. Absolutely. Uh, and to you as well. And thank you for taking the time to be with us and share this information, Bonnie. All right. Enjoy the rain. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Uh, and there we are. That's Bonnie Yates, special education attorney. Uh, we've only got a couple of minutes here, and I want to go over a couple of things this week on the show. Tomorrow, it's a best of episode. Then on Wednesday, uh, it's either Ask Dr. Doreen or we're having Ev Kung. I'm not sure which one, uh, but we'll let you know about that. On Thursday, we've got some guests who are going to be with us joining us to talk about Clarify. It's an autism saliva test. Um, <clears throat> to look at genetic testing, and they're going to tell us 
uh, the many things that Clarify can tell us. It's very exciting. Um, and then on Friday during Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, we're going to have Denise Voigt and Yadira Calderon are going to be joining us. So all of that coming up. As we leave you today, I'm being asked to remind you uh, to please uh, participate with Autism Live. Like us, share us, subscribe to us, or follow us. And then you can now also, we would appreciate it if you would rate us on Apple, uh, Apple Podcast. We would love it if you would do that. So please like, share, rate on op Apple Podcast, or subscribe or follow. And if you really love us, do all of them because that helps other people to be able to see what we're trying to do here. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.